Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. Um, I want to welcome you today at the panel discussion, Empowerment on Try, Encountering Emirati Women's Voices here at NYUAD. And um, it's actually a follow-up of a workshop that we had yesterday and today, where we talked about varieties of womanhood and Emirati womanhood, subjectivities, creativities, and confines. So we had different scholars from different countries talking about um, subjects such as uh, historical self-representation in heritage, in museums, and history, women's political leadership, past and contemporary economic livelihoods, and museums, women's political uh, situation, family and marriage laws, and various artistic fields in which Imwadi women have to come exp to express themselves in theater, literature, and visual arts. And uh, this two-day conference uh, actually showed that we don't know a lot of things on Imwadi women. And so the idea was also dis to discuss in a panel with Imwadi women about the position of Imwadi women. And not only to discuss about them, but to actually talk together. Uh, one important topic that we also addressed in, in several of the different um, papers and presentations was women's empowerment. Uh, although in the conference we only um, addressed it slightly, today it's going to be only an empowerment. And you will see that empowerment alone is always connected to other parts of the life, uh, particularly if it's individual perspectives. As some of you might know, since several years, Emirati women figure more, more permanently on the public stage due to a variety of state-sponsored programs aiming at the empowerment of women, particularly in the domain of education, political representation, and economic performance. In this context, the women leadership looms largely in public and governmental discourses, highlighting the success that Emirati women, meanwhile, have achieved by venturing into a great of variety of occupations, ranging from business women to politicians, fighter pilots, and you all know the pictures of the fighter pilot. If you haven't seen it here in NYU, you might have come across in TV or even offshore engineers. While there's a regular news coverage highlighting various Emirati women leaders, their careers and occupations, we do not know much how this empowerment in, is actually experienced by Emirati women themselves. And I'm referring here to empowerment in the sense of self-determination, autonomy, agency, controlling one's life, and claiming one's own rights. Of course, there are different definitions on empowerment, but this is what I mean when I'm talking about empowerment. In the common Western perception, Emirati women, or Gulf women in general, do not possess much of that. So the idea is that Gulf women, by definition, are not empowered or that they're actually suppressed. So how are such Western images experienced and countered by Emirati women in their interaction with Western colleagues and friends? one of the questions that we will address today. Moreover, the empowerment discourses in the news do not give us any glimpse in the actual daily lives of Emirati women and the potential confines and social pressures they might actually be facing. These are just some of the questions that we will address tonight. And I'm thrilled to have three distinguished guests today. 
And uh, so I will introduce briefly Rana Mutawa, Dr. Monal Ali, and Maisal Khayat. But I want to stress that these women are, of course, not talking for all the Emirati women, but they're actually giving their own perspectives on this subject. So we don't, we shouldn't think that uh, three women who are participating today can talk for everybody. But at the same time, it will allow us to get some ideas of potential patterns that other women might actually encounter in their own lives. So let me just uh, briefly introduce you to Mona Al-Ali who actually works, works as a museum expert and consultant, and she has worked formerly as an assistant professor and coordinator of the Art History Museum Studies program at the Sharjah University. Prior to this, she, her, her academic career, she worked in the museum field for several years, and Dr. Al-Ali has a strong passion for museums, Islamic history and art, and she has written various publications and has been giving talks related to the history of museums, New AE, impacts of social change, museum development, museum identity and strategies to attract visitors to museums and museum and education. Actually, it's how we actually met at a conference on museums. And I should say that um, Dr. Mona Ali is the first Emirati woman to have a PhD in museum studies. Then please um, say hello to Mays Al-Hayat, who is uh, one of UAE's most prolific Emirati children books illustrators and writers. And actually, we were talking about this avatar, which um, actually helped me to find her. I, I found this avatar on Facebook, and I, I fell in love in it. And I contacted her two, two years ago without knowing her, and through another project where we worked, worked together in Emirati folktales, where you actually work on folktales to rewrite them for a new children's book with the Goethe Institute, I got to know Mazel Khayat. Uh, Maitha is a member of the UE Board of Books for Young People and an ambassador of Emirati's Literature Festival. In 10 years, Al-Hayat has published 20 books and five in English. A very impressive number, knowing that you have some children. <laughs> and her popular book, My Own Special Way, received an award for book, uh, Best Book in Children's Forum in Riyadh in 2011 and was the first Emirati book to be published internationally. Her other book, Turn Off the Lights, also received Best Children's Book at the Publishers Forum in Sharjah 2011, uh, 2016. And Maitha writes for children's TV shows like Iftah Ya Simpson. This is in English, exactly. Um, also, her recent publications are young adult books, and one new book will be actually published at the U Abu Dhabi Book Fair. So please look out for that. It's Nawaf Al-Jalaf and Nawaf Al-Jadaf. And currently, she's working on a new adult book, which is actually coming out. And Maisa, in her own words, is the first Imwati person to cure children as a bibliotherapist. Maybe you will actually explain to us what this actually means later on. And uh, last but not least, uh, I want to introduce you to Rana Mutawa. Rana Mutawa is an Imwati PhD student of Middle Eastern Studies at the University of Oxford, and she's the first recipient of the jointly funded Oxford Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Graduate Scholarship. And she's a managing editor of Gulf Affairs Journal at the University of Oxford, everything in her very young age, I have to say. She previously worked as an instructor and researcher at Zayed University in Dubai and holds a master's degree for Columbia University and University of Tokyo, so you have been traveling the world. Um, I met her while she was presenting a very interesting paper, which was called, I want to be a leader, but men are better than me. So maybe you can also say something about that. 
So thank you for being here tonight. Um, I, it will be so. I will be giving some questions to each of you. Then maybe we have a discussion together. And at the end, I would like to invite you to actually <coughs> pose your questions. So um, one of the main reasons we're actually talking about leadership and empowerment is that in the 1970s, um, Fatima Mubarak and other um, wives of ruling, ruling families actually helped foster education. And so one question would be, in what way has your study or education impacted your life? Would you have experienced a similar form of empowerment without having pursued a higher education? Maybe you want to answer this? Uh, thank you, and thank you, Dr. Leila, for organizing this. Uh, we've been discussing uh, various topics, uh, as uh, you mentioned, for the last couple of days, and that uh, made us feel that how much limited we actually, uh, there is a research related to women in United Arab Emirates and how much we need to dig down to understand uh, the change that the women been through. Uh, so tell what we have today and to answer and I would thank everyone for coming for on the, uh, Thursday night I'm sure you have uh, uh, things to do but you chose to be here with us <laughs> um, for me personally I think uh, in empowering and education uh, is very important because without education, uh, women wouldn't be uh, empowered, especially in the United Arab Emirates. That's why uh, one of the first uh, regulations that they wanted women to be educated um, in the United Arab Emirates and uh, not only the young uh, women uh, or children, but also uh, all older women. I remember when I was a child, I would see my mother... Um, she was fortunate uh, to be um, an educated uh, woman. She finished high school. After that, she got married, but not a uh, lot of women in UAE had that chance. So uh, they opened, uh, um, it was, uh, I think, uh, called Mahwal uh, Ummiyah, where they would erase, they started to erase the, the Ummiyah and the uneducated illiteracy, illiteracy in the United Arab Emirates, and they would go, they would go uh, to the schools at night. But personally, what I see, I come from Umm al It's a very small, it's, I think, the smallest emirate in UAE with the smallest population as well. And I, I came uh, from um, a public school, so when I went to Dubai um, only, that was uh, something different, was different culture. Uh, I met, uh, it opened my eyes to totally different experience. I had to commute every day for an hour, um, study in Dubai and come back and to be mixed with students from different emirates. And I think the main a uh, shift happened again when I did my master's uh, in New Zealand. Uh, when I went there, my father wasn't uh, happy about the idea. I had uh, sister and brothers as well, and they weren't very happy how we were going to go alone. It wasn't about them trying to dominate me, but I think they were scared and they were worried how you're going to manage uh, yourself being alone and very it's it's a, there is actually a sign in New Zealand saying end of the world <laughs> so it was end of the world but I think I was um, I tried to convince them my mother I think that's the role of the 
woman in the family. She had, I think, the power to change my father's point of view. And she said, let her go. Uh, she's going for education. She'll come with a better education. And when I left to New Zealand, it wasn't only for the education. Uh, I experienced a totally different culture. I was exposed to people traveling from different countries. And we're all there in the um, English language center at the beginning. And then the, the university, I started to see the world differently. I started to try to listen more than I talk. I tried to learn every single thing. So I think that all uh, opened my eyes to different opportunities and feeling how much uh, we we should explore, we should travel. And then again, same experience when I did my PhD at uh, United Kingdom. United Kingdom was different as well. It was a different experience because I was exposed to more culture. I had friends and colleagues from almost everywhere around the world as well. So uh, that empowered me in a way that uh, I, I think the word empowerment, uh, it's give us a pri privilege uh, to be able to, to do whatever we want, but as well, uh, it is, um, it's a, a bit a scary word because we are expected to do a lot as well. I'm expected to, to lead, I'm expected to, to, uh, to, uh, to research more, I'm expected to give back to the country that gave me so much because most of my education was sponsored. Uh, by the government so it's empowerment is actually, I don't think it's a luxury it's actually it's a sometimes I feel it's a burden our shoulder that we have to give back to the country and it's never enough mm -hmm. as well thank you I think it's interesting to see it as a burden mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wouldn't have come up with this but it's actually interesting but I think we were talking about also your education and how the English education has somehow changed your life well, it's strange. Uh, it's not strange. I think it's, um, uh, I kind of um, relate to um, Dr. Mona is that uh, we were born in a generation that uh, we had mothers who really, and mother-in-laws and aunties who, it was at the time where they all wanted to be uh, educated. Uh, so my, uh, my mother-in-law had to study and take, raise her children and also work at the same time. So for me to grow up, to see, um, she was my auntie at the same time, to see so much ambition from at that time when I'm young, is um, I think really influenced me. Uh, what also influenced my education is my father also was sponsored and he had to take his PhD in the UK. So I was brought up in the UK and that's where I fell in love with books and uh, uh, and children's stories. Uh, when I came back to the UAE, um, even though I had really some difficulties in adjusting to my own culture, because I first started learned the English language before the Arabic language, um, but afterwards, um, or sometimes now, now that I am a writer and um, Alhamdulillah, I find myself a successful writer. Uh, my f my colleague friends always ask me, "What is it that you, that you have that we don't have, or what is it that you do that is different than us, even though we're doing the same thing?" I tell them, "I well, I don't think like an artist. I think as a businesswoman." And that is because I studied business uh, administration, even though it has nothing to do with 
what I am at the moment as a writer. I never studied writing. I never studied to illustrate for children. But because I took it as a, a project, and that is why maybe uh, why I'm right now a, a very successful um, a writer and illustrator. For you also, because you got, got a grant to do your research in Oxford, you also went to Tokyo first. So how did this actually impact your, your life? Um, well, I think just like the other said, I mean, it has a very, it has a very large impact on me in terms of, I think it will also, uh, career wise, I feel like it opens so many doors. And I think in the UAE, we're lucky. Um, actually I was spoken, speaking to someone, um, in the audience about this. Um, I was telling her, I feel like there are so many opportunities for me to do that. I'm not sure actually what to choose, uh, how, how to actually choose what I can do because there's so much to do. Um, but at the same time, I want to say that, you know, maybe our grandparents, either male or female, didn't get education, but they still managed to succeed without it. So at the same time, it doesn't have to be the only thing that makes people succeed. Okay. So clearly in the media, we usually see um, sporting, like athletes, we see uh, politicians. But would you come up with anything else, like other fields where Emirati women have witnessed empowerment? Well, I can only speak from my experience what I see f from people around me. And is that I can talk about the uh, literary uh, sector in, in this world. And um, uh, women in the UAE has done extremely well in, in, in writing and in publishing uh, books. But it has, when at the time when I started to become um, a writer, um, I felt there was lacking in children's books, especially good quality children's books that really relate to our culture and traditions and and just the normal day-to-day -day lives that we experience. Um, uh, most of the books uh, that were that, that were created or published were either translated or written or other people, expats, coming to the UAE and writing about us, which I felt it was really good, but that they lacked this this authenticity and originality of our uh, of our lives. They they didn't know about us, but they wrote about us. So I thought, no. I mean, since that um, we uh, the best people to write for their country are the people themselves. So uh, that's why I decided to become a writer. And at that time, I felt all alone. I I didn't find um, anyone to go out to or or. Or I really stumbled as I became uh, to become a writer, but thank goodness to so many um, initiatives and entities like the Goethe Institute and the ABBY. I think without them, uh, I wouldn't have been empowered to become a successful writer right now. So you you mean self empowerment by taking back the culture somehow, and the help is coming from the state because most of the institutions are coming from the state? Or do you see institutions beyond the state that actually help to empower women? I'm, 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 uh, what I'm saying is that um, uh, I was lucky, you know, to to, to have that empowerment by the, the state and uh, the great initiatives um, that were provided. But most of the time, um, it was more... Uh, re researching by myself and trying to learn things and getting to know people and finding friends who really supported in that field. And I think it, the, the, the great thing is, uh, is that 
when you find people who are doing exactly what you do and have the same passion as you do, this is when you start to get stronger and stronger and uh, you get so much support this way. Yes, and um, do you think there are professional positions or individual objects, objectives which cannot be yet achieved in the UAE? Yeah, so this, uh, this is one of the questions where I really will be speaking about myself and just uh, some women I know. And I would say that in my experience, um, I did not experience any obstacles professionally. I didn't feel like there was discrimination in terms of hiring or being promoted. Um, I thought it was actually kind of positive, um, a positive experience for me as a woman because, um, you know, of the government support for that. And so uh, workplaces would have been happy to get, you know, women with um, university degrees wanting to work. So I thought that was positive for me. But um, again, I don't know about other women who may have worked in more male-dominated industries and may have faced more obstacles, such as maybe even just comments at work or jokes or stereotypes about women. Um, that's in terms of professional objectives. I think in terms of individual objectives, it can really depend on the family because there are families who are more supportive. Um, so they, you know, the, those women um, may want to, per, may be able to pursue what they actually want. But then in certain families, they may not be allowed to do certain things. For example, if they want to work in jobs that may require a lot of traveling or late hours or maybe exposure to the public through media and so on, um, maybe they will not be able to uh, achieve these objectives depending on the family. Mm -hmm. And have you actually had any obstacles Have you experienced professional life where you had problems? I didn't mention before that because I felt alone at the beginning and it was really hard for me to um, uh, uh, really get published or uh, actually, you know, know all the legal things that I required to be and copyright issues and all these things. These I had to search by myself or uh, thank goodness to, like I said, the initiatives like the Goethe Institute and uh, the UBBY. They really enlightened us and gave us so many workshops to help us um, really fi find our way as uh, as writers. The other life obstacles that I really faced was because I'm, I was... I was. Uh, I had four children at that time, so it was quite kind of difficult for me to become um, a writer uh, and uh, a mother at the same time. And I, 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 I saw myself as a single mother as well because even though I was married, but uh, my husband was living in Abu Dhabi and he only came as a guest during the weekends. <laughs> so um, I felt I had to juggle these children, but at the same time try to prove myself as a writer. And 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 the and I really wanted to prove that I was a good writer, n not because I only loved writing as well, but because I was really, really not... I, don't, I can't say bad, but um, I was awful in Arabic. So <laughs> for me to, to prove that I can become a, an, a writer and write in Arabic for children at the same time, I felt I really needed to do that because um, I see a lot of children who really are scared of their mother tongue. And I was afraid and I didn't want them to be that. So That was the reason why I wanted this to work. I wanted to be a good writer and write really nice stories for children just so that they can love their Arabic language and mother tongue and not be afraid of it. So all your books are in Arabic? Um, I wrote mostly in Arabic. I started first in English, but um, 
people challenged me, so that's why I started to do some Arabic. I, I went back to take some Quran lessons and <laughs> learn how to say A, U, E all over again. So, um, yes. <laughs> and I know that you have worked in, um, actually in a field with men. So, did you have any obstacles? Um, Imati men, I mean. Uh, if I think because I when I uh, if I talk about my personal experience, so I worked in the museum and at Sharjah University later on. Um, actually, in the museum field and I think mostly art field, uh, we are like ninety nine percent women, and even education because my bachelor degree, master degree was education as well, and so. Um, I think um, I don't really have that uh, much imp uh, like uh, uh, struggle or I felt there is a difference between men and women because I think we're um, it's uh, it's always um, women around me and then even when we had meetings like Western women and then one or two men uh, aside and I think they felt they're the uh, weird one between us so in the, especially in the museum uh, field. So um, I, I didn't feel that uh, at work and uh, luckily it's the same in the house because we're uh, personally, I live, uh, I have a big family. I come, I have seven sisters and four brothers as well. So uh, I live actually in a world dominated uh, mostly women and that's why I think um, I'm very uh, Uh, com comfortable, I think, uh, around women and to talk ab uh, about women issues. But um, I think even uh, if we think of the workplace, uh, I never found um, any discrimination related to salaries or promotions or uh, uh, someone would say, uh, even in hidden agenda, like uh, this is man, they would give them the job. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever... It's my personal experience. I think maybe in the war, um, in the work work that would would require uh, like maybe I don't know a law, lawyer lawyer or engineer or doctors they might be able to I think maybe feel because it's mostly men working or military maybe I think military more yeah, yeah. of course. So sometimes it is said that women in the UAE and actually we have just noticed. Are empowered and supported to such an extent that Imwati men, because they are believed to have all the advantages, increasingly fall behind, particularly in terms of education. And we just heard that in heritage field in art, you have 99% women, mm. maybe 80%. Anyway, so do Imwati men need saving? Mm. Anna? Um, Yeah, so I've also heard about this um, in a conference before. So the woman was presenting about women in the UAE, and when she finished, she said, so we have all our rights, we're completely empowered, it's, it's men we should pity, and you know, we should feel sorry for them. And the audience really liked this, and they clapped and they cheered for her. Uh, and I understand why that can be you know, a, a very empowering message, and it's a positive message in many ways. But I don't think that it's really um, very accurate. Uh, because until now we have um, many things in society that show that there are double standards. And uh, one of them is, uh, for example, you can see a daughter who has really, you know, top grades. Um, she may even get a prestigious scholarship like a Fulbright or something like that. And she may still not be allowed to study abroad. And her brother, who may have barely passed high school, will be encouraged by the family to Uh, to go abroad, maybe their pa the parents would be even willing to pay. Uh, so I think that these um, kind of double standards exist in different parts of life. I mean, 
uh, I think in terms of honor or shame, the woman is still, uh, regard there's more pressure on the woman to kind of guard the honor of the family. So if a woman is discovered to be, you know, seen in public with a man, she's, um, she's not treated, uh, well, basically she's treated very harshly by the family versus if her brother did the exact same thing, uh, she would be, um, you know, looked at, uh, he would be looked at uh, more leniently. So I think that these um, double standards exist. And if we, if we say that we're completely empowered and that men, um, you know, men are kind of falling behind and they're the ones we should pity, I think we'll be basically ignoring the plight of so many women. Uh, but at the same time, I do agree that men are falling behind in education. But I actually feel like that's still due to our double standards because uh, when kids grow up, we're telling the girls to stay at home, maybe to play with some dolls, but also maybe to read, maybe to draw, maybe to paint, uh, while the boys are expected to go out, play sport, do physical activities, be adventurous. So they're not really encouraged to, in a way, be domestic or sit at home and kind of think and paint and do these things. So I think from a young age, we're encouraging, encouraging them to be out while we're, um, you know, the only place for a girl uh, is at home uh, in many families. And they grow up, um, you know, with that ideology. And so I think for many women, um, university or education is actually a liberating experience for them because that's the, uh, one of the few places where they get to experience the, di the outside world while, while for um, a lot of boys or for a lot of men, they've already experienced it outside. So I also think that's one more reason why women would take education more seriously is that it's um, a way for liberation. And um, the workplace is also a way for liberation for them, while for men, it's just something that they're going to do anyway. So I think it's um, society's ideas of gender roles that maybe promote uh, or actually make men fall behind in education rather than women's increased rights. I mean, technically, they are falling behind in education, but they're not falling behind in the job sector if we see that there's still only a few of the women who actually had a very um, good education that actually go on on working even after having children. So in, in the West, actually, people decide not to have children for, for the sake of continuing the, the, actually the career. So do you see this differently in the UAE? Do you see that um, women actually experience a different kind of uh, perspective on getting children and possibly not continuing to work and deciding anyway for children? Or? Well, I think th that is one of the reasons is that I think we're also moving on to the same idea that we... Um, uh, Parents want to uh, a husband and a wife, even though they they know that it's a really important to be parents. But at the same time, they also want to um, uh, see themselves and uh, pursue their careers and uh, find themselves in the community. Uh, and they do, and they have. Um, uh, uh, we can see that the number of children have declined. Uh, as like Dr. Romuna said, uh, you you nearly live like a family. The football team, I'm, uh, I can't. The same with me. My, my mom um, has brought uh, six boys and five girls, so I'm the eldest. And there's like 20 years gap between me and my uh, my youngest sister. And um, uh, but right now, uh, I can't do that. I don't think I can do that. And I think it's because. 
I think when our our mothers and grandmothers were more stronger than we are right now. <laughs> Maybe we are strong in the in the in the public uh, sector, uh, but uh, in the home sector, when we're uh, we, we panic, we <laughs> we can't do it. <laughs> do, do you think that there are also other like sectors where women of this generation differ massively from the older generation? Do you think that the younger Emirati women differ are different from their mothers and grandmothers or great grandmothers? Yes, I think everything has changed. Of three different generations or even four different generations. Maybe the change between my mother and I wasn't that big because the speed of change was slower, but the speed of change is now is very fast, especially of the the age of information, the age of the internet, the social media, and the influences. So, for example, uh, if I think of my grandmother or my mother, uh, or even um, the only way to see the world was maybe through the TV. That's the only, uh, and that was the, um, the outside influence uh, for them. But nowadays, for younger generation, they can see uh, the world in And like in their mobiles, uh, so that all influenced their personality, their identity. Um, I think expectations uh, of women uh, is changing as well because expectation from the society to women uh, is changing, and also the expectation of women to themselves uh, are changing as well. For example, um, in my grandmother uh, generation, she wasn't expect expected to be educated, uh, for example, but my mother generation was expected to be engineering, but a certain level of uh, uh, maybe grandmother reading and writing, my mother high school, and be able to educate the children. And then uh, my generation, uh, of course, to finish university uh, and get a higher education. So this is what was ex expected of, uh, from us. I don't think uh, there there. There is any women or Emirati women who will not at least finish high school or uh, bachelor de degree uh, nowadays. So, and uh, of course, when we say education, that would fall automatically to the to the way they see the world, the the the, the, the way they know their rights, they know their duties, what they have to do. Uh, for example, um, I would give you like a very simple example when a man would want to marry a woman in the past. Uh, my mother, grandmother generation, they would uh, expect her to be able to take care of the house to the children and to, of course, to cook the food for the family. That's uh, the basic things. Nowadays, when a man, for example, uh, would want to marry um, a, w a woman or a lady, he would go and then the first thing that the mother would say to the, the, the man, uh, my, my daughter doesn't know how to cook. <laughs> This is the first thing you have to know. She, It's true, isn't it? I'm not sure. She doesn't know how to cook or clean. Provide some maids for her. Yes, this is one of the things that they have. So she is not expected uh, to do this. And this is a huge difference because cooking and taking care of the children, it's not only something, it's it's like it's the bond, I think, uh, that we, we're losing. So so I think that the change, but there is a, the change, I, I only talked about uh, simple things, but I think uh, it's changing dramatically, but then we always need to uh, find our roots where we come from. That's why 
the conversation, the communication is very important between older generation. And, and I think sometimes they don't even, uh, for example, uh, and, um, personally, when I see my younger sister, uh, it is very difficult for her to talk with the old gen generation from uh, someone in my family because she doesn't even have the sh uh, com something common between them. Mm. Well. Uh, uh, something coming to talk. Yes. She does. For example, this old lady in the family, she doesn't know about makeup or she doesn't know about fashion. She doesn't know about uh, maybe uh, uh, travel. So there is nothing to talk about, uh, unfortunately. That's why um, there, 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 there is a need, I think, to communicate. I'm not sure um, how we can do this, but uh, I think we need to do that. And if you, think, if you think of empowerment, do you think there's a difference between the former generation where we actually know that in history, women in the inwards have been self-sustained, who have been the providers while the men were gone, for instance, on pearling or on trade shifts. So there has been empowered women. So is empowerment we're talking about today or which the media is dis discussing something different from what we can see in the past? Yes, I think she, she's, she's expected to be at home and then again an extra thing they have to do. She's expected to work as well. So uh, I think um, uh, which is um, sometime um, they would need to find the balance. But empowerment within the house uh, of most of the families in UAE a woman who would need to take care of uh, the like life, everyday life, the the, the, the like automatic things happening in the house, like the cleanliness, the food, whatever. If she's married, of course, but then she's ex uh, expected to go and work and then help the husband with the with the with the uh, with the income in the house, um, which is a bit different. But then um, I think it's very challenging as well for women. So it's again a burden. <laughs> I think a burden in has um, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. So, if you think of empowerment, um, if the West is talking about empowerment, I think they also mean something different sometimes. And the West has still this idea that the Gulf women or the Emirati women are similar to Saudi women that couldn't drive until yesterday or some days ago. Um, or they actually have this idea of a strict gender segregation where Emirati women cannot go out because they don't understand the society and they don't really have an idea of what is happening here. And so do Emirati women need saving? Um, And why does the West actually still believe that Emirati women are oppressed and confined to the domestic household? Maybe you want to answer this? Um, so, yeah, I would answer, of course not. Emirati women don't need saving. And when I say that, I don't mean there are there's nothing to improve. So as I already mentioned before, I think there are still many areas where, um, in, in regards to women's rights, where things can be improved both here and outside. Uh, but I just don't agree with this um, kind of condescending system where outsiders would look into countries they don't really know much about with um, an attitude of superiority and assume, um, you know, things about this woman and kind of look at her with pity. Um, 
But at the same time, I think there's nothing wrong with women from different nationalities or cultures coming together and trying to find solutions to these problems uh, that they face in their respective countries. But that would mean that they would have to come as equals and see each other as equals and um, just kind of talk with each other and have a conversation rather than try to save one another. Um, now, the reasons um, why they think this way, I mean, obviously, one of them is stereotypes and just um, a lack of a kind of mis misinformation. But I think the second reason would be also their lack of knowledge of their own societies, maybe. So I think a lot of these women or men who want to save others aren't maybe as aware of the problems in their own societies. And they might think that they're actually in a, in a much higher situation or status and that's why they don't need to deal with the things in their own societies and need to look elsewhere. You all have met obviously Western women so was a contact with them like as students or the contact in the daily situation did it change the, their perception of Emirati women? Yeah, um, in my case, of course, um, it's because I cover my face and wear the naqab and even sometimes when I go out to uh, other countries and go to conferences like book fairs and book exhibitions, I still go in my attire. Sometimes I do get phone calls from the UAE embassy telling me, please don't wear the veil. <laughs> but, um, but in such <laughs> cases, I do uh, go in my uh, attire because um, I think... Uh, um, I think people, the West, really need to see women in their original clothes uh, and, and to see them uh, wear the things that they are proud of, what they like to wear. And uh, and when they see see me going like that and talking and doing, living my life as an, I'm an author, I'm an illustrator, I, I give some talks, I read stories to children, um, it's it's like an eye opener for them. They are they are always fascinated, and they are always um, it really changes their ideas of um, a woman um, from the Middle East. And uh, for from my experience, it did not only help uh, to change like other women I met, like uh, if I can call Westerners, but also it helped me to understand more about myself and my identity and my culture because I remember I stayed with a homestay uh, when I went to New Zealand and I used to cover my hair and then uh, very, very modest clothes. Uh, it was okay and she was the first, uh, then when we started talking, she said, why do you wear this black thing? And it's because I'm Muslim, but then she said, okay, what does it mean to be Muslim? Then I I think she, I was annoyed at the beginning and I, I was young, I was annoyed. She, why, why, why did she ask me this question? I would call my mom and tell her, but then my mom would explain things for me and then that would encourage me to read more and then go back and talk to her. So that created a conversation between me and her. Um, she would... Um, And she would talk about herself as well. So I think uh, it's always good to, to talk and not to judge. This is, I think, uh, sometimes it's the problem. It's trying to judge and whatever we do is right, whatever you, the other uh, part, uh, party or the other person is doing is wrong, which is not um, actually true. So I think I would always uh, try to, uh, because I, from that lady, uh, she uh, I've, I've learned a lot as well, but then I learned a lot, not about her, her, her culture, but also about my, 
my culture. This is one of the examples, for example, that happened to me. I mean, it's really interesting if we see you, um, obviously three different Imwati women, uh, we actually get an idea that there's not one Imwati woman and that people have to understand that even if you're covered, um, you are empowered. I think it's really sometimes difficult to pass this, this first step, but as you said, once you talk to them, they actually notice it, it can be different as they uh, believed, yeah. Exactly. Talking is really, really important. And um, uh, and I, I want to tell a little story since I talk, um, since I'm really good at telling stories more than answering questions, um, <laughs> is that <laughs> I was at this Emirates uh, Literature Festival one time and I was uh, going to drink my coffee and um, my friend... Uh, who's the first Emirati sci-fi author, introduced me to a, a horror um, uh, writer who writes horror uh, books. And he's, uh, I think he was American or or, or British, I don't really um, remember. And she just left me and I was, left me with him. And I looked at her, please don't leave me with the guy. But she just, bye-bye, and she left. And then he just kept staring at me and I kept staring at him. And he kept staring and I kept, and he, you know, just staring at each other. I wanted to drink my coffee and he was looking at me and the coffee and me at the coffee. And then he said, <laughs> oh, she's going how, to how are you going to drink your coffee? <laughs> and I said, it's easy. I'm just going to lift the cup, lift this and drink. That's it. Do you want to see? And he said, yes, please. And, <laughs> and this is a guy who writes horror books, you know. <laughs> And um, and then he said, "Oh my God! Oh my God! It's so easy." I told him, "Yes, it's it's easy as you know, ex people from the West taking chopsticks and forcing themselves to eat with chopsticks, chopsticks to copy from the Japanese or the Chinese. So it's easy as that." And he said, "Oh God, I've got so many questions, but I'd really lo not like to you know tell you the other questions he asked because <laughs> they were really hilarious." But um, but talking really really made. He he was so so fascinated by all the things you know that I just just by talking. I think uh, talking is also the way of empowering yourself. So it's not only what state empowerment, but I suppose the communication alone or with friends actually helps to empower women. I don't know if you have had this experience that um, change like exchanging with your friends help to empower yourself. So just conversations with yes. friends. Yeah, I think those are really important. And but I, I think it uh, depends. They actually have to be friends who understand where you're coming from and understand the issues that you're dealing with, uh, because there are also conversations with people who, you know, there are conversations that um, you talked about that are actually that allow people to question their ideas and and kind of mm -hmm. change some thoughts. But I think then there are also conversations which. Um, can also be stressful because people ask the same questions. Mm. Um, so, you know, especially if you travel abroad or you meet people who don't know Emiratis and then they ask you the same questions like, uh, how come you don't wear the abaya or do you have to cover uh, your hair when you're in the UAE? Things like that. And it, it just feels a bit tiring to answer them. Mm. So I think uh, chatting with, it has to be chatting with certain friends to really be empowering. So maybe I'm going to ask you an annoying question because a lot of people might have asked you that, but um, how do you evaluate the situation of Imwati women compared to other Gulf women in the like in the realm of empowerment? I think I think uh, Imwati women are I mean superheroes because I can just see them in 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 everything in in every field possible. 
um, even back to our, our grandmother's generations, they used to do fantastic things. And I've always been brought up by my father telling me stories about my grandmother and how strong she was. Uh, for instance, one of my favorite things when I was a kid was to ask my father, how was I born? And, and, and it was my favorite, favorite story time, bedtime story, because he, he would always tell me how, how crazy my childbirth, how I was born. Um, my mother had, was in labor. Sorry to talk about labor. I, I, well, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, my, I'm just not listening. <laughs> my mom was in labor. And at that time, um, uh, she was really in a bad condition. And I live in Ras Al Khaimah and the ER was terrible. So uh, they called the ambulance and the ambulance, they had to go to Sharjah, drive all the way to Sharjah. My grandmother insisted on riding in the ambulance with my father. And um, obviously I was in a hurry to come out into this world because I was born right then in the ambulance. And my, gra- my mother, my grandmother, she's a huge woman, a very big woman. She crawled right from the window, from the passengers in that little little box she crawled you know squeezed herself out from in there and she just grabbed me from the nurse took off her abaya and covered me in it it was it's my best story ever and I, I can see how strong my grandmother was just by doing that thing and um so I, I think the, um, the women in the UAE are very very strong not because uh, of only their education it's because their ancestors, their grandmothers were really, really strong women Um, during the days when they had to take care of the household by themselves when their husbands left for pearl diving and for um, uh, being merchants or something like that, and tradesmen. It's actually interesting because I'm not an Emirati, but since I'm pregnant, everybody (laughs) asks me if I'm going to have my child here as if it would be the worst thing ever. And now I'm always trying to explain that a lot of Imawati women had their own children here and supposedly <laughs> they're actually still alive. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you for the story. <laughs> it seemed to be easy. We're going to see. No, it's going to be in Abu Dhabi, so it's fine. <laughs> so another thing, because um, when you talk about empowerment, um, Actually, one subject that comes up is art, clearly, because in art and artistic or visual um, visual fields, you have more and more women who are actually empowered. And I was wondering in what way do these artistic forms of expression allow women to address their part- like particular experiences, life histories and aspirations and limitations? And is it maybe easier to do so in art than in, if you would do it, in a plain way in the newspaper, for instance. Um, and I have, um, I have a passion for art and I would try to visit, to, to visit exhibition as much as I can when I have the chance. And especially for Emirati artists, uh, female and male, I, uh, both. But when I see the artwork, sometimes, especially in the galleries and the museums, I feel they're very peaceful. Very safe. They would choose the topic very peacefully, very safely. There is, especially in the museum, I, I would guess, uh, very not so much controversial. Controversial, I think. And um, one one of the time I had, uh, I attended a panel, and there were the artists uh, talking about the exhibition they exhibited, and I said, um, "Do you think uh, museums?" 
because I'm special because I'm, I wanted to know, especially in the museum, not in gallery feeds, because maybe the galleries would have more freedom to exhibit artwork, which can be maybe controversial or with. So I said, uh, uh, when we're going to see topics that might uh, shock the visitor when they come to the museum, like topics we, uh, which we don't really speak about, uh, taboos uh, we don't really talk about. Will we see something like this in a, a museum, like a public museum? And the artist uh, said, uh, unfortunately, uh, he, does, he doesn't think that would happen uh, now or anytime soon, maybe in the future, because uh, the art uh, that is produced by Emirati artists especially uh, women, uh, is, of course, it's going to be judged. Uh, they know the artist, they know, of course, her name, they would know. So she might be judged upon her artwork, mm -hmm. the topic she chose. So she needs to, the work that she's going to publish uh, in public, uh, need to be very carefully chosen because uh, unless she's very, for example, brave, she doesn't talk about she doesn't care about the society. She just wants to exhibit. But I think, I believe uh, they would paint things maybe because I've been uh, to some of the studios and I can see some of the paintings that uh, that they would uh, share, they would paint that, um, how can I say, it? There are, it's like their thoughts, their imagination, the topics that they really feel that they're struggling with because that's it's a, it's a kind of expression painting but then they wouldn't actually present it. it's a bit uh, I think sad but it's not only uh, upon the artist as well because uh, the curator of the for example the museum exhibition would need to approve and it's it, there is a lot of uh, I think limitation for, for what them but I think in the social media, of course, uh, it gives the artists the chance to exhibit their artwork, uh, they, they exhibit uh, their whatever they think of, and the, so they don't even need the space. Mm -hmm. So if she doesn't, uh, she's, uh, she's more, I think, uh, courageous, uh, brave. Mm -hmm. I think she would present her artwork in maybe social media more than public spaces. I think in, in books, actually in novels, in mm -hmm. theatre plays, we actually find hardships of women and subversive um, texts, also particularly in sci-fi books, where you have like this change of perspective somehow, we, we can find it. How is it about children books? So would you think that you can express things that you can't you can in museums, for instance? Yeah, I found, I found with my books that I was able to express a lot of what I believed in. Um, a lot, a lot of people think that I was um, maybe too bold with my stories. Like I love my dad's long beard and uh, my own special way, where where I talk about a little girl who wants to learn how to wear the scarf, uh, and she doesn't find that she likes any of her sister's ways until she finds her own special way. But because I address the stories in a way, not in a controversy way, but not in a forceful way, um, I get away with it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I do get a lot of comments about some, some, uh, about some of my other books. Like, for example, one of my books is called uh, The Runaway Louse. It's about a little louse uh, who jumps from one head 
to another. And uh, they they think that it's not an educational book, uh, whereas um, the children love it because it, it talks about their daily lives when they go to school and they get head lice and they, they don't know what to do. with the high heels? Uh, yes. Okay. She, yeah, she's the one who wears high heels and a little mini skirt. <laughs> and some <laughs> Sounds interesting. <laughs> very transparent stockings. Uh, and um, uh, yes, uh, so I have heard from a lot of authors who have written children's books uh, uh, that have been banned, you know, from, mm. from like certain countries in the Middle East. Like uh, one of the books was about a little boy who releases a lot of gas. So it was um, it was not allowed to be sold in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> but it was it's a normal thing that children would do. So I don't know why it would be banned. But um, yeah, um, I do find that I like to express myself um, in books, especially to express the things that the children go through in their lives. And one of the, one of the books that I read really like um, of the books that I have written is um, my my mom's amazing socks and and it's about a mommy just like me who um, who wear covers her face uh, her kids only f- know her and and, her, and find her in the public is by looking through her socks because on each day she wears a special sock so when she goes and picks them up from school she wears the polka dots and when she goes to the souk she wears like striped and when she goes running, jogging in her niqab and Shayla on the corniche, she wears the floral ones. So she 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 literally lives her life. She's a working mom. She goes and has mom. She does some sports. She takes her kids to school. No, I'm wearing gray ones. I'm just looking for no, special socks. The ones are, and uh, <laughs> when she goes to work, she wears the plain ones, which I'm wearing, wearing right now. But uh, and, and I think it's the only Arabic children's book. Uh, that has a woman wearing a veil and a niqab in, in, in the Arabic sector. There's no other book that has that. That's interesting. Yeah. So I will just end with two questions, and one is for you, and then another one for all of you. And then you would be able to, to ask other questions. So how do you think Emirati women use themselves and their status in society? And um, are they actually truly empowered? Um, so again, I'll be speaking about women I know who, you know, I've discussed these topics with. Um, and I think a lot of women do feel like they're empowered and that uh, this is especially the case because they're, they see the government supporting women to be in leadership positions and so on. And, um, and so I feel like they do see themselves as valued and respected uh, people in society. Uh, but at the same time, I think there are also, um, conflicting ideas about this topic. So um, I'll give an example with my students. Uh, I was teaching at Zaid University and the female students, whenever they came in and left the campus, they had to punch in and their parents would get a message telling them that, you know, your daughter entered the university or your daughter left the university. So the students complained, some of the students complained about that um, and they thought it was ridiculous. But just two weeks later, we were having a top uh, discussion on women's issues. And they said, no, we, we have complete equality. There's no difference between us and between men and so on. And it's the, the topic that they had complained about just a few weeks ago, which had to do with gender and how they were being treated differently than the males in, in, at the university, didn't come up. And it just, it's as if it's, it wasn't actually something that was happening. So I feel like um, there is kind of this conflict in complaining about what's happening and actually realizing that there are restrictions and then 
when we talk about women's issues, um, suddenly that changes. Uh, and I'm not sure why this conflict happens, but I've seen it happen a few times. Um, and are women really empowered? Um, I don't know how to answer that question. I, I mean, I would say that I'm not sure if any woman anywhere in the world have all their rights. Uh, and so if they don't have all their rights, are they, are they completely empowered? But at the same time, you know, you may not get all your rights, but you, it's, it's, it might come from within you. So I think it's difficult to answer that mm -hmm. question. And if we go back just uh, to what you were writing about, so I want to be a leader, but men are better than me. So how, how did this come about? So you did a research with Said University yeah. students? So it was uh, with 300 students. I, it was a survey. And um, I thought of it because in, in my class, my students, some of, when I discussed women's issues with them as well, some of them thought that, you know, women should be leaders. But actually, I was surprised to see a lot of them saying things like, no, women are too emotional and, you know, they can't be leaders. They'll be jealous of each other and things like that. So um, I did this survey and I found almost 97% of them said they wanted to be leaders. But then many of these women also said that men are better than women in leadership and also that women should be the primary caregivers. Um, so I felt like there was a, a contradiction. Uh, and also something that I found while I was doing this, and this was um, with women I interviewed, um, is this theme of, of the superhero, which is that women should be doing everything. So if they're working... Uh, if they're working and they're mothers, they also have to do the whole full caregiving. And so I think that's why maybe all over the world there is this label of working mother, but there isn't really a label of a working father because there are so many issues um, associated with being a working mother. And that means that you have to spend the bulk of your time taking care of your children while the father might work and then come home and just spend a few hours with his family but doesn't really do the bulk of the work. Um, and although I think in, in some ways it's empowering uh, to be a superwoman or a superhero, I also feel like it's like maybe Amuna talked about, it's, it's, um, it's a burden. And I see that with the women I know because I feel like it's, it's, it doesn't even seem healthy that they have so much pressure. Um, and um, it's, it's also, you know, the, the men can take more time off for themselves to, you know, to just, to just relax. It's more acceptable for them, for example, to travel with friends uh, while it's not really acceptable for the woman to, to travel with her friends and leave her kids at home because society will say she's irresponsible. Or... So I think that this pressure is, is a bit unhealthy and, uh, and some of it is also brought on by women. Uh, so I think if there's more debate about these things, that can actually really create an environment which is more healthy for working women or for superhero women. Thank you. I mean, and this leads to the final statement that you could actually make or final question that you should all answer. It's where do you see fu future potential for empowerment of women in the UAE? And do we need this? I think they've covered them, covered them all. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I see, I see women, mashallah, in, in, in lots of fields in the UAE, and I, and I just can't seem to 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 just name one thing that they they haven't done. Um, maybe what Emirati women should do actually is just spend some time relaxing. I think <laughs> and release the the burden from their from their shoulders. Um, 
my son came to me yesterday and he said, mom, I'm so bored. And I told him, I wish I can be bored. I just <laughs> wish I can be bored and not working and not doing something. So um, I don't think I, I can see women other than what they, they're, all, they're, they're doing wonderfully. Mona? Yes, um, um, it's, it's similar, I think, to what you said. I think uh, when I think, I think we're, we're very lucky in United Arab Emirates because I can, for example, she said she's the first illustrator to, for example, to, um, I can say I'm the first person to study museums and I'm sure you're first in something as well. <laughs> so, so, and then we have a lot of fields that uh, now it's like uh, the first woman uh, who would study I don't know, uh, science rocket or so we have so much potential to be the first as women in United Arab Emirates now and I think we're very lucky because um, for example when I did my PhD in a museum in, in Leicester um, I can feel so, how much uh, struggle uh, like the, the students with me to not be able to to think of their PhD now, but then they have to think of what they're going to do next. But for me, I was a bit more chilled out because I knew that I had a career, I have, I had a job to go back to, so that 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 wasn't a problematic for me. But I think you can see women in all of fields now in the sport and um, uh, um, um, and even uh, today I was discussing with my colleague uh, colleagues uh, at work. Um, Women are playing jiu-jitsu now, and uh, she was t telling me that they're interested actually to want more, more women to play jiu-jitsu. And then the, the only problem was uh, internationally when they would want to go and play jiu-jitsu, sh they shouldn't uh, cover their hair, of course. And I said, I would love to go, but uh, the problem is uh, it's the personal space. There is no personal space in the sport of jiu-jitsu. <laughs> But I think um, they're always, um, I think that's why I think when a, a lady or a woman or even my nieces, when I think of them, they would want to say, uh, do something. I think they're capable of doing uh, anything they would want and to be in any, any field they want now nowadays, yes. What would you say? Um, so the question is, which field should... Uh, no, it's just about what is the potential for empowerment and... Uh, in the, in the future. Yeah. So it does not necessarily mean that you have to have more fields. I think we have a big range of different fields yeah. already, but it could also be about what is necessary to actually empower women. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think um, in terms of, or basically professionally, like um, uh, Mona and Metha said, uh, the most things are covered, I would say, in terms of career or education as well. Um, I think where I would like things to maybe improve is in terms of the more personal um, or family laws, such as citizenship laws for, um, you know, Emirati mothers, um, you know, so that citizenship is passed from the mother as it would be from an Emirati mm -hmm. father. Um, so it would be more of the personal and family laws where I would like the improvements. So thank you. And now the floor is open for your questions. I'm sure that I forgot some. So please go ahead. Don't shy away. Yes, please. Um, here. Oh. 
Hello? Yes. Hi. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having this talk. It was really lovely listening to your experience and your stories. Uh, my question is, um, when I compare Saudi to UAE, I find that uh, the boundaries that female face in Saudi are a bit different because they're enforced partially by the law and partially by families. When here, I find it that the government is super supportive, but then you feel that there's some limitations within the family. So how do you see this changing moving forward? Maybe I can start with an example. Uh, for example, when Sa'id bin Sultan, he wanted um, female to go to university, so they built a university in a line. And then no one would send their daughters, especially people far away, to to stay in the hostel. And um, they, the idea wasn't very clear to them how that women would go alone, 16, 17 years old, and live there for five years, four years. So what they, the government said that we would uh, try to... Uh, the hostel would be, of, uh, of course, uh, monitored. There would be someone who is responsible for them. The funny thing, one of the one of the teachers there told me that even they said, okay, there are male male uh, professor doctors. They said, okay, we'll hire someone older than sixty years old, not younger male. male. So, so all these things that the government is giving is, is I think, it changed uh, people thought, and then I think. As well as for families, they have so much uh, respect uh, to the government. That's why when there is a law uh, would uh, be out there or strategy or they would, uh, the, 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 the UAE national or the community would be very supportive. There would be, I think, a lot, only a small amount of people who would maybe question even the, the law. Uh, but uh, for the, I think that there is a lot of change. Uh, the change had happened as well. Uh, personally, as I said, my father wouldn't allow me to go. But now, then now, uh, when I see my niece, she just traveled. She's only 14 years old. Uh, her father actually accepted her to go to travel to Japan as part of uh, one of the initiative by Sajai in Sharjah. Um, for me, when I said it, I felt uh, she's very young to travel with the group alone and I think this is uh, changing as well the perspective, and especially if if they would uh, they would uh, give some guarantees that she's be she'll be safe, she would be with guardian, someone is going to be there uh, for her. Do you also want to answer? Um, I just have one example, um, and I don't really know if it's accurate or not. But um, when Shamal Mazrui was made uh, minister, I was. Um, Wondering how that actually um, affected people's perception of women who studied abroad. Because I had a friend who was saying, well, you know, maybe we could have women who went to the public universities be ministers because, you know, these were women who uh, got their education here and we should be promoting them. But I also wondered, you know, if ministers, uh, female ministers who studied abroad, um, you know, got into these positions, um, maybe that also would change society's perspective of these women and maybe then um, fathers or brothers or husbands wouldn't mind as much allowing their daughters or sisters um, 
to actually go and study abroad uh, because they see that this is a respected thing and that society and the government appreciates it. Other questions, please, yes. Um, first, I would like to comment on the first that you have not seen Emirati women uh, as cleaners or as waitress or as taxi drivers, maybe. But um, I don't know about Abu Dhabi or I don't know about Sharjah or Um al but I can speak for Ras al that I know a lot of women. Uh, Emirati women who are like chauffeurs, who work uh, as tailors, who also, my name is Maisal Khayat, and my grandfather uh, is Hussein Al Khayat, which means the tailor, and he was one of the first Emiratis to work as a tailor making kandoras in Ras Al Khaimah. My friend, uh, she owns um, uh, a business, she's an entrepreneur. Uh, but she sometimes uh, works as a, a waitress. She uh, serves her customers. So maybe that's why uh, I see also my friend and I see the people in my society and say that I um, that um, there's there isn't a place that I cannot see um, an Emirati woman work. But your other question was uh, um, uh, again. I, I, I'm still. Oh, I think whether we, Emirati women can empower non-Emirati women. Did I get you correctly? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think the only way, I think personally, uh, the only way that an Emirati woman can empower expat women is that to see them being, you know, like a lot of people expat maybe think that Emirati women are uh, spoon fed with a golden spoon, uh, that they have everything they want uh, and everything they need. But, um, but it's really very. It's not the case with a lot of families, and uh, it's not the case with a lot of women in 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 the UAE. They have to struggle, and they have to really do a lot of things to prove themselves and to be where they are right now. So I think that is also empowering, empowering for um, uh, expats to see that this lady has everything. She lives in a country, yet she still like the gender things that. Um, yet there are some restrictions for 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 a, a girl to travel or to study abroad alone. Um, even even I, as a as a an established author, and um, a mother of five, I still find it hard to uh, leave my children and go and do. Yet I, I feel I can do a lot. I feel I can go out and travel the world and do so, a lot of workshop outside my country, but. Um, I feel I am needed more with my children at the moment and for my community at the moment. And I think that is empowering as well because you can see that I want to serve my country first before I start and do other things outside. I don't know if this can answer your question or not, or you think that is empowering, but I feel that that is empowering myself. Maybe I can answer, although I'm not an Emirati, as I said. <laughs> there are actually some foundations run by Emirati women, and some of the women organizations actually also had non-Emirati women, and they empowered non-Emirati women. As for whether labor women, I mean, like nannies and so forth, can be empowered by other people, it's a very broad question. I mean, the question would be, how is the country working with laborers in general? And whether 
we also have a Western perspective of thinking that labor is by definition having, are having a harsh life or a bad life by coming here. And I had a very interesting discussion with an Indian who was living in, in Denmark. And he was saying, yes, we always complain about labor's life here. But at the same time, the Gulf states are the only countries that actually allow people to come and to work a legal, on a legal basis, while Europe has closed the borders. So also working here allows people to earn money that they can send back. So the question is, is it also sometimes empowering to have the opportunity of getting jobs while you can't get it somewhere else? Which doesn't mean that it, there are no problems, but I want to say there are foundations that actually are run by Emirati women who actually help non-Emirati women. Particular Arabs, but not only, also Pakistani and so forth. But then you have a very high, like different levels of hierarchies, of course. Good evening, my name is Anna van Alphenevere. I'm from the Netherlands and we only arrived in September here. Um, what I noticed in, and I can only speak for my country and my friends who work, there's a tendency to always have to be more manly. <laughs> And what I see here in the short time I've been here is that you still have your feminine, um, how do you say that? You dare to be f feminine. Do you experience, um, that feeling of to have to buckle up and be more, because otherwise you might be judged on your softness or on your emotions or, um, I hope I'm expressing my question mm -hmm. properly. Very interesting question, actually. Who wants to answer? <laughs> I can just make one comment, um, which is about competitiveness. And um, I think that it's not just here, but in other parts of the world, you know, competitiveness is often considered to be a, a male attribute. And it's also considered to be important in companies and in, in work. Um, and that's something that I notice is also promoted, I think, to an extent here, which is competitiveness. And I, of course, I think it's important, but also um, I think things like collaboration, um, and it's, it's also in, uh, includes the way not just companies work, but also schools work. Um, do we look at students, you know, do, do we want students to compete with each other or do we want them to be, um, you know, kind of collaborating with each other and helping each other? So I feel like, the competition is still there, the aspect of, you know, expecting um, people to go into work or education, competing with each other is still there. Uh, I'm not sure about the other aspects of masculinity, but that's something that I've noticed. Um, my only comment is that maybe I think, and I think of it personally, is that in our country, we have been brought up that male and female are created to work with, with with each other to complete each other but not to you know for a man to take what a woman does or what uh, a woman is made to take you know a guy's thing no uh, we, we we have been brought up that it, without us working together and and you know not believing in, in in our abilities separately then the world will not be what it is any further questions? Yes, please. Hi, good evening. Um, thank you all. So my question is for Mesa. 
Um, and it's related to literature. Um, it's a two-part question. The first question is, um, I'd like to know, because you mentioned that you, you didn't, most of the books that you read before you attempted to write were written by expats about us, and you wanted to fix that. So I'd be really interested in your definition of the word expat. And here's the reason I'm asking this, because I have students, and I teach at NYUAD, who have not known any other country besides this, but they're not in Marathi. So they're sort of in between, but they don't identify as expats. And the second part of the question is, do you see your stories evolving to include uh, non-Imaratis? And the reason I'm asking this is simply because there's a generational shift. Um, I have students um, who have the privilege to study abroad and they're grateful. They have friends who come from all over. Um, and so I'm really interested in process with respect to where do you see your stories going? Because at the moment, it feels as though you're preserving and archiving history that's important, that's relevant, which I respect and I accept. But, but where do you see, how, how do you see your stories evolving as well? I know this is quite complex, it's because I teach for a living, so I talk too long, so forgive me. But I'd be really curious to know what you're Okay, first of all, you're like my son, Omar, who asked three or four questions at the same time. And I have, by the time he finishes the last question, I forgot the first question. <laughs> the so, definition of the word expert. back, you know, slow. <laughs> so the first question, again, is about, um, let me get the, get this right, youth, youth, uh, you think that I believe that uh, most of the books were written about expats? Is that it? No, it was basically, you mentioned early on, and correct yes. me if I'm wrong, yes. that you wanted to write work that addressed a certain kind of history that expats couldn't touch because they were writing about us. Yes. Right? So I'm really interested in your definition of the word expat in the context of the UAE or in the context of Rasa Khaima. It's entirely up to you. That's the first part. Okay. Uh, shui, shui. So the first one is that when I when I first started be to become an author um, or wanted to be an author or wanted to be published, uh, I tried to look for books about the UAE because I noticed that lots of there weren't many books about the UAE culture, the UAE traditions, or anything about the UAE. So when I went to the, the most popular bookshops and like in Dubai, most of the books um, I did find some children's books about the UAE, but they were not written by Emiratis. They were written by people from outside the UAE. That's my definition of expats, people who, who are here um, as visitors or people who have businesses or families living here. And because they also saw that there weren't any books about the UAE, so they took the they took the first steps and they were very um, um, strong enough and to, to, to try to try that. Um, the, what they have written was really great. Um, even some topics that I wouldn't try to write about because um, I didn't have that uh, courage to go and travel like to Bedouin families or go find out about falcons or or find out about the Salugis or any of about these or, or even uh, Arabian horses or anything of, like that because um, I was like a mom and it was really a constraint for me to travel and uh, do, do these researches. But what I didn't find was little things about you know, inside the household, things that were not about hobbies, you know, day-to-day -day activities. And when I, I think my, now my answer will answer, I think, one of your questions, but I don't know if it's number two or three or four, um, is that when I write about the UAE, I always include 
the people who are living in the UAE. For example, when my first book came out, I Love My Dad's Long Beard, even though I was writing about Emirati daddies in the UAE, I also added other daddies not who are not Emiratis also to be daddies in the living in the UAE. And I always had people asking, but that is not an Emirati daddy. This looks like, for example, a Pakistani daddy or uh, an Afghani daddy. And I told them, yes, but he's living in the UAE. And you see these daddies living in the UAE, but no one just mentions them. So also, if in, in, in most of my books, I always try to incorporate the past and the present within with the book and what what is happening at the same time just like um uh, one of my other uh, books that i illustrated which is written by asmal kitbi but um i illustrated it's the bedouin penguins and it is about penguins you know escaping from ski dubai and venturing out into the wild into the desert so it, it was for me it was like kind of tourists going out into the desert and learning about the UAE. So I don't know if that answers your, your question. Was there another thing that I didn't answer? No, no, I think you've <laughs> no, done no, justice no. to the questions themselves, so thank you. No, I think there was one. Well, it's basically, I mean, it was also the evolution of, this is an unfair question to ask of any writer, because I'm basically asking you to predict um, your next three, four or ten books. And a lot of it has to do with evolution. Um, and how do you see your stories evolving because the country is evolving? As well, well, my so, friend here is just help, is raising her hand and I think she's going to answer for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Noura. Thank you. I am Noura Khoury. I'm also a, a children's writer in uh, the UAE. And I've started a, f- a few years after Betha. But um, allow me to say we kind of do have an agenda as Emirati writers to incorporate um, a lot of the culture and history and geography of the UAE because a l- very little has been done before Mefa had started. And maybe that is why you find that many um, upcoming Emirati, well, we're not upcoming anymore. We've, we're, we're almost there for what, 10 years, but maybe compared to the rest of the world, we are upcoming. So um, a lot of us are incorporating, yes, a lot of our national identity in, uh, in books, not always illustrated as humans, but sometimes we have a book coming up um, that is, and the hero is a Jerboa. And what he's doing is he's jumping around the Emirates and he meets um, Emirati animals and um, runs into Emirati plants and some animals are almost, you know, extinct even. So we do have this um, double intention of entertaining while educating. And uh, there's lots of Emirati, uh, you know, authors who are not doing what we're doing. They're just writing, you know, pure fiction, pure fantasy Harry Potter style, cotton candy cloud style, and, and it's all acceptable, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, no, uh, so you. we can have a last question, then we will have to stop. So, um, up there. Hi, actually, I've got uh, two questions, because we could hear that there are some uh, limits about how far can you go when you talk about, let's say, gender issues. Uh, I wanted to see, I wanted to know, like, um, where is this border? How far can you go in this country talking about uh, about your your problems? Because probably you are, you have this self controlling uh, issue that you cannot go too far. So uh, where does it go? And m- maybe after you answer, I will have another question. Please. Only if it's a very short other question. Because I I do realize that things like I don't know domestic violence probably won't be uh, it's it's too far, right? Is too far. 
Um, I think there are women who speak about it. And actually, just in the presentations uh, that we had today, um, someone spoke. Did you speak? Yeah. Maybe actually Dina can speak about it because she spoke about social media influencers. Actually, I think one of them spoke about abuse. Uh, her father's abuse. So I think there are people who speak about it, but maybe um, it, it depends on the way they speak and how they phrase it. But uh, I think she publicly and directly spoke about it. And, and also, uh, as we discussed before, in books um, written by Emirati women, you actually find these subjects, uh, hardships of women, confines, problems with the laws, um, violence, and um, maybe Dina wants to add something. I suppose you're right. It's depending on the situation and the context in which you discuss these things. And the way it's phrased, I think that's very important. Yes. Yeah. You want to answer? There always, um, I think there always sometimes, uh, there are always limits, especially when you think about the tradition and culture and religion and all of this as a component of our uh, daily life. We take it for granted. We lived with it. So within ourselves, we have this filter whenever we speak. I have to be very cautious of what I say because I don't want, in back of my mind, uh, I need to think of my family. I need to think about my brothers. I need to think about where, I'm, where I work and how I represent myself as, as we say, good Emirati and then not try to talk in public about our problems. Maybe I go home and I'll speak with my sister. I would tell her, this is what happened. This is what I think. And then it would be more into talking with close friends about our, uh, I, I mean, like if we, uh, as Emirati women, we talk about our close friends or maybe someone who is specialized, but not publicly. I think it's um, it's all about uh, being uh, the pride, I think, and uh, I think for us to have always like a, the good image that we're expected in public spaces to give about women. women. I think that's a perfect closing comment because um, actually I want to thank you for sharing your personal stories, particularly because it's not so easy to talk in, in public and to share with everybody what you lived in, in your daily life. And um, again, thanks uh, to Hannah, Mona and Meta for being here. And thank, thank you. you to you. Thank you, everyone. Thank and you uh, thanks for the questions. After this, you will have a buffet outside. So please um, take the time to eat with us and you can continue this the discussion with um, ladies thank outside. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute.